I give God praise for our pastor. Um, last Sunday, she brought a, a great revelation during prayer in Sunday school. Um, and I wanted to, there, you know how you hear of someone's revelation and some part of it just jumps alive in you. And so I'm going to share some of that this morning. Um, she was talking about uh, the prejudice spirit and about not twisting things and how we don't want to give up that very last thing sometimes. Uh, Sister Rhonda actually shared the scripture in Sunday school this morning. Um, so you've, some of you have heard it before. Um, and, um, and, and her revelation was that there's a, there's a new level for each of us. And so we get to that point of um, not wanting to give up that one last thing. And when we give up that one last thing, then we, kinda, we can move on up into that next level. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, I'm going to start right there. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Um, and it says, once a religious leader... And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? None is good save one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet you lack one thing, sell all that you have and contribute unto the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw how hard it was, saw how sorrowful he was, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they that heard it said, who in the world can be saved? Um, how many of us get to a point, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, how many of us get to a point in our life where we say, my God, what more do you want from me? What more can I give you? What more do you want from me? And they're, and they're here. They've been with Jesus. They've given up their life. They see a, a young man who is um, who's saved, who's godly, who's righteous. And God asks him for the one thing he hasn't given up, which is ev all of his riches, not give some money. It was the one thing he really enjoyed in life, I'm quite sure, was the fact that he was comfortable. He was wealthy. And God said, well, give that up. And be poor and have nothing. And, and he went away sad because of what Jesus said to him. And then Jesus, and they, Jesus heard them saying, who in the world can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. It's in verse 27. Another translation says it's humanly impossible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So what is he saying is possible there? He's saying it's, it's not that it's possible for the rich young man to still get to heaven and be sad about giving up his riches. 
He said it's possible in God to give up all those things that you don't want to give up to God. He said it's humanly impossible. And so when we reach a place where we feel like that, where we say, okay, God, you see, I'm on fire for you, and so I started coming to prayer. Now I'm giving a lot of time in prayer, and then I want to do this. I'm helping a class on Wednesday nights, and I'm doing this over here, and I play an instrument. So we have, pra- we have practice. That's, you know, two days out of my week gone. I, I give. What more do you want from me? What more do you want? What more can I give you? I'm physically at my limit. What more can I give you? And God said, you can give me more. Because with God, everything is possible. So, help us, Jesus. Um, have, and so we look at God sometimes when we're in those situations and we say, God, I can't do any more. What more do you want from me? Who can even do this? I said, uh, you know, up until last week, I said a little bit arrogantly, I'm the busiest person that I know. And so God's given me a breakthrough in the time to devote into prayer. And, um, and I would say, I'm the busiest person that I know. I'm very busy. And then I met Dr. Paintsel. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and God brought me down a notch or two or three. When, when he starts telling me all the things that he does, he's you know, the pastor and overseer over five churches. He's, uh, he has four children, not three, four one with special needs. He's, uh, he's a doctor, full-time job. He's not just a doctor. He's over the entire department at his hospital. He's, um, that's a busy man. And he's, and he's a good father. He talks about his kids all the time, all the things he gets to do with them and spend time with them. And I'm just looking at him and thinking, dear God, do you like work the night shift and then do all this stuff all day and never sleep? How is this possible? But I see, though, that there's a man who's gone on up several levels past me, and I can't say I'm the busiest person that I know anymore. Um, Because busyness doesn't matter. And here's the mentality that we get into when we get in error. And that is God knows my situation. God knows my circumstances. He knows that this week I can really only play 20 minutes. So God knows that's going to have to be enough. Um, God, you know, God loves me, and I know that I, there's call in my life, and so right now all I really have to do is just, I can just pray what I can pray. That's all I can do, God. What more do you want from me? I can prepare for my class about as much as I can prepare. What more do you want from me? I can, I can lay down. I can come, you know, there's prayer four times a week. God, help me. What more, what more can I do? I don't eat lunch because I can come to prayer. What more can I do? What more do you want from me? Do you want me to give up even more time? I don't have hardly any time with my family already. Do you want me to give that up? We're giving. We're trying to get out of debt, and we're giving at the same time. And we're saying, God, how much more do you want me to give? I can pay off my debt with this money. How much more do you require of me? I'm tired, worked all week long, prayed all week long, and I'm tired and I don't want to do it. I don't want to press in today. What more do you want from me, God? I'm tired. 
What more do you want from me, God? I'm broke. I've given. And I'm still broke. What more do you want out of me? Do you want me to give this last little bit that I had? I was going to spend on my groceries. Do you want me to you want me to not spend time with my kids right now? Do you want me to ignore something going on with my job? Do you want me to to not do these other things? Because my you know I have to live. How many of y'all said that? You know I have to live, God. You know I have to live, Jesus. So and so we make up realities in our head where it says that God's okay with God understands my situation. He's okay with the fact that I'm not giving him everything he's requiring of me because he knows I have to pay my bills and he knows that my kids need a parent and he knows all those things. And so instead of giving God our first fruit, we give God our leftovers. And so the rich young ruler had given God many, many things. He had lived righteously. He didn't give to the lust of the flesh. He was good to people. I think he was probably generous even. I think he was. I think he was. Because he seemed very righteous. So he, he was probably generous. But Jesus said, and he said, what more can I do? I want to be saved. I want to be right. I want you to use me. I want to be on fire for God. I want all of God that I can have. What more can I do? And Jesus told him the one thing he didn't want to do. And I know my generation, I, I know especially because I am my generation and I also talk to my generation, um, feel this way a lot too with, you know, I have kids, I have young kids at home. It's real easy for the older people whose kids have all grown up, my parents, to get up and do stuff because they sit at the house all day, which probably isn't true. But that is what we say. That's what we say. Um, so... So we say to God, what more, do you want everything? Do you just want my whole life? Are you trying to kill me? Is that what, like, you want me to starve to death so that I don't have to work? I'm just going to pray all day. My kids will all starve. I lose my job. What do you want from me? And God, and, and I hope you're not expecting me to say, but God says it's okay. No, God said yes. God said yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I do want those things from you. It's okay to not shout and get excited about that part. He says, I do want those things from you. Um, can you put up Matthew nineteen twenty six? So we say I gave all the stuff and God wants more. So what is the answer then? There is an answer. And Jesus said, um, I'll read Matthew nineteen twenty six. Uh, it says, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And so, God gave us the answer there in that it is, when we try to work all of these things out in ourselves and in the natural and plan out our time and say, okay, well, here are the things I know I have to do. To keep my job, I have to do these things. To pay my bills, I have to do these things. Um, for my kids not to go be on drugs, I have to do these things. <laughs> I have to spend some time with them, make sure they feel good about themselves and all that, and uh, take them to soccer practice and ball practice and all those things. I have to do those things. Um, so what time do I have left? Okay, so I can pencil in prayer at this time. And well, I'm going to come to the prayer at the church, you know, at least two days out of the week maybe. But I'm going to pencil in prayer at this time and so seeking some God after this time. And then we've got church on Friday night. 
And we got cell group on Wednesday night. Okay, so this is all I can give you this week, God. That's, that's how we do. But God said, if you just flip it around, though, and you do what I'm telling you to do, which is lay down your life in prayer. Lay down your life means to die. We say, we say lay down our life. christian sometimes. Lay down our life means to die. And we just say, okay, you can have all of that stuff, God. And we give God first. We say, first of all, God, what do you want me to do this week? How much time do, I, do you need to, me to spend in prayer this week? Um, you know they're going to call me tomorrow to go into work, or I've got to gotta get up and be at work at 7 in the morning. Um, so do you want me to pray before that? Do you want me to pray all night long? I don't know. What do you want from me, God? What do you want from me? I want to give you the very first, to give you the very best. And then God says that if you operate in the supernatural by obedience, instead of in the natural, he says in the natural, you're right, it's not possible. But if you do it my way, it's possible. And I can't tell you how that works. I can just tell you it's supernatural. And it works because... I know I've seen it in my own life when I give God the first and when I give him all the time he wants and requires out of me. It could be 40 hours of prayer this week. It could be five. I don't know. I give him whatever he wants, whatever he wants, and whatever he asks of me, I give it to him first, and I don't try to plan it into my schedule. He just gets it. Then God gives me great time with my family. And, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. I don't even know that that's true for Christians, honestly, because because I've just seen it. And if I hadn't seen it, I would tell you that you were dead wrong, that you were high on something. Like, I would tell you you were just wrong and crazy. But But now that I've experienced it myself, I can tell you that God supernaturally provides that that time when we're giving. And we give and we give and we give. And we're saying, I'm paying off my debt. Well, God, you know, if you didn't keep asking me for all this money, I could probably pay off my debt a lot faster. You know, I just want to spend a little money on myself and get a pedicure. I just want to spend a little money on myself and, you know, buy some hunting gear and go hunting this this season. It's not. I know it's not hunting season. I don't know what season it is. Fishing. You know, I need some new rods and reels. Got to fix my boat. Um. And God's saying, well, give, give, give. You know that I, I saved up. Um, I know y'all probably get sick of hearing this, but I, I, it's a great story. I saved up $2,000. I was going to put a down payment on a brand new car. I was 25. And uh, 24. I hadn't turned 25 yet. And um, God said, give that money. All of it. And I said, oh, man. God, you know, you know I've been saving this money. This money's for a purpose. God said, give that money. I can give you a car. Give, give the money. And, uh, and so I gave the money, and I'm praying over it, and I don't even know what I gave the money for. And God said, what do you want? And y'all know what came up out of me was I want Michelle. And so one month later, I had Michelle and a car. So, 
when God takes everything, when we can just say, instead of being sad like the rich young ruler, when we can understand the principles that are working, when God takes everything from us, he gives it back better than we had it originally. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, verse 22, if you can stick that up there, not very far away from Matthew 19, Matthew 16, verse 22, it says, Peter took Jesus, and he began to rebuke him and said, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned, verse 23, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that are of God, but those that be of men. So when we hear a voice in us that says, You can't do this. There's not enough time. You can't do this. There's not enough money. You can't do this. You haven't prayed enough. You can't do it. This isn't possible. It's not physically possible. You just can't do it. You're not hearing the voice of rationality or reason. You're not saying, yeah, I know what we say. We say, I'm just trying to be realistic. Just trying to be realistic. You're not listening to a voice of God, you're not listening to a voice of rational thinking and, and sound reasoning that says, well, there's only 24 hours in a day. Jesus told us who we're listening to. It's the spirit that comes and says, you can't do it. Don't, you, you can't. This is just wrong. You can't do it. They can't ask that much of you. How much does the church want of your time? My God. They can't, they can't keep asking more and more from you. That's not the Spirit of God. Jesus said who it is in verse 23. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, you're an offense to me. You're a trap. You're a stumbling block to me because I want to listen to you. We know Jesus wanted to listen to him because he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and had to pray all night long until he sweated drops of blood because he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to give up the one thing God was asking him to give up. Jesus didn't either. So it's, it's okay that we feel the same way. But he, but he knew whose voice it was that came along and said, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You're the son of God. Don't you know you're the Messiah? Don't you know what you're supposed to be to Israel? You can't go through with this. You can't allow this to happen. You can't do it. You're out of time. There's no more time. You're going to make yourself sick if you keep pressing on. You're just going to keep doing everything, and they're going to take every bit of life out of you. There's not going to be anything left. You don't have any time for your kids. You don't have any time to sleep. You're not going to have any time to spend with your husband or with your wife. You're not going to ever get to go out and eat again because you're going to be praying all the time. All the stuff that that spirit tells us. And so it, and Jesus named him. Now, the Hebrew word that he uses here is not the same word he always uses to refer to the devil when Jesus is talking. It's the word hasatan, which is where we get the word Satan. But hasatan literally means the challenger. And so this is a spirit that comes to challenge what God has asked and required of us to do. There's another place where the challenger came, and we see exactly what 
he re- how he operated, and that is in the book of Job. Um, the challenger is what the Bible says. He calls them, it can be transferred the ad, translated the adversary sometimes, but a lot of times we think of, of someone who is, um, we think of the adversary and we just think of the devil, but I think it's important to understand who we're talking about, and that is specifically the challenger. Hasatan, Satan, is in this spirit the challenger. And so he came to Job and said, I'm going to test what God's put in you. I'm going to say you can't do all of these things that God's put in you, and I'm going to begin to take from you. And so when, when, when he's going through all of his trials and tribulations, we look at God as though God is the one who's taking from us whenever God's requiring something from us. But it's not God. God's trying to give us something. It's the voice of the challenger, the one who comes and challenges. God says, I want you to pray. I want you to give your life in prayer. I want you to give your life to this ministry. I want you to serve me. I want to I use you. I want it to be fantastic and awesome. And the challenger comes and says, is that really what God said? God knows, God knows that you are, that you work and that you take care of your kids. God knows you work and you take care of your grandkids. God knows how much time you, you devote to everything else. God knows how much time you, you devote just doing natural things around the church. God knows how much time you already are devoting to Sunday school. How much more can God ask of you? He can't ask anything more. You can't give anything more. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip. You just can't give any more. The challenger. Jesus gave Peter a harsh response because Peter was speaking out of a spirit, the same spirit that speaks to every single one of us when we say, I just don't want to give up that one last thing. And that is, it's the spirit of that, of that spirit of Satan. It's, it's literally the spirit of Satan who challenges us and who is our adversary, and he challenges the call of God in our life continually. He pushes against it, he fights against it, and he says that we can't do it. When, so when I was a kid, I was, a, I was actually a fantastic kid. Um, if you ask my father, he would tell you that. I was a fantastic kid. Um, I, uh, but I got a revelation as a child. I got a, I got a fantastic revelation. And I try to tell our youth this all the time, only they, do, they usually don't listen to me. But I, I try to tell them all the time this revelation that if I obeyed my parents, I got a whole lot more than if I rebelled against my parents. They bought me things because they were happy with me. It's a lot harder to get something with a bad attitude than it is with a good attitude. I got to do more things because I wasn't ever grounded. If I, if I rebelled and I got grounded, I didn't get to do things. If I want to be free and have liberty, then I had to just submit and obey. And so all my, all my friends are always getting grounded. Hey, you want to go to Monday? No, I'm grounded. What did you do? I don't know. I, you know, I did this. My parents told me not to. And well, why did you do it? We could have gone to Monroe. My parents said I can't go on this trip. Well, why did you do that? It didn't pay off for you, did it? So it's the same principle with God, though. If we obey God, if we just obey, 
we, we have this wrong idea, this perverted, twisted way of thinking that we're giving up something when God requires something from us. But just like my parents required obedience from me, and when I gave it to them, I got lots of stuff. I was spoiled, which caused some other problems. But, I mean, in general, in general, it was fantastic, and I was a wonderful kid. Um, because, because I just, because I thank God I got that revelation. Probably when I was about 12 or 13, I started to want to be having an attitude, you know, about that age. You want to get an attitude. And I got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 14. And, and God, that was the first revelation. I think this first revelation I ever remember getting was just obey your parents and you are going to be like, you get to do more things. You get freedom and liberty. You get more stuff. I know my parents were happy. The Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. How, how, how do we recognize that we're in this situation of I don't want to give up anything else? I, I'm, ti- I'm tired. I'm just tired. How many of y'all just can say I'm tired sometimes? I'm just tired. And I don't, wa- I don't know how much more I have to give. How do we move past that? Because okay, we can. It's it's easy to say. Well, we have to. We just have to go into the supernatural realm and operate there. How do we do it? How when God's saying, "I want you to pray," you know, two hours today and four hours tomorrow, and I know I have a job and I know I have family. How 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 do I work it out in the real world? Well, first we need the revelation. But secondly, first of all, we have to recognize that the voice that's telling us we can't do it is not from God. It's the spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of the challenger, and we can't believe it. So when God's requiring something, he's saying, I want you to spend more time in prayer. We'll just use that as an example. I want you to spend more time in prayer, because that's what the devil fights the most. Then we have to recognize that if when the voice comes and says, you don't have time, how are you going to even do that? How do you have the time? You look at your calendar and tell me where you have time to do that. We have to recognize that that is a lie, and it's the spirit of Satan himself who is, t- who is speaking to us. And his purpose is to fight what God is requiring from us. The second thing we have to do is we have to pray. Um, we were at prayer yesterday and talking, and, and, um, and I was just praying. The, what came out of me was prayer activates the call of God on our life. <coughs> we can... We can have a call of God on our life, and we can try to do it all in ourselves. And that's when we end up feeling, I don't have, there's not enough time, there's not enough of me to go around. But if we activate the call of God in prayer and not through our own work, then we're, we're, steady, we're setting off on the right foot. Instead of saying, okay, let me make a list, make my to-do list of all the things I have to do. I'm going to check, 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 and I'm going to schedule out when I can do all these things this week and make sure that everything gets done and I'm handling everything in the natural. I activate what God has required of me to do. I activate it through prayer. So I start with prayer. I give myself to it. I give it to it first. And then through the prayer, God brings everything else to happen. And I don't have to. I don't have to try to manage it. Now, we, I mean, you know, we gotta make sure stuff gets done. We can't can't go off into la la land. But you know what I mean. We activate it through prayer. We pray all the time. We don't just do it in ourselves. The third thing is, 
We act as though, we step out, we act as though God is going to supernaturally meet every need in our life as we lay down everything for God. In, uh, in the book of Job, I want to read you one little scripture real fast. It's in Job um, chapter 42, verse 7. Thank you, Brother Andy. It's right at the very end. Job chapter 42, verse 7. And it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, so Job, you know, he's, he's been sick, he's been sitting in boils, his whole family, everything's gone, still sick. God, you know, he, he wants, he's saying he's righteous, that he's been, this has happened to him unjustly. He wants to hear from God. God eventually responds to him and basically tells him to shut up. Deal with it. Do what I want to do. That was God's response. And Job, and Job repents, and Job finds himself here. And it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job has. Therefore take unto you now seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, and for, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you in your, after your folly, and that you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, like my servant Job. So God said to Job, I'm going to send you these people, these people who have made your life hell for as long as you've been going through all of the trials and tribulations that have already been going on in your life. You're still covered in boils, still sitting in ashes, still in the problems. And God said, I'm just going to require one more thing out of you. Just one more thing, Job. By the way, these people that you have prayed for me to take away from you as much as you've prayed to take the boils away, these folks, I want you to sacrifice some, some goats and some rams for them. I want you to make sure that they're right with me. I want you to serve them and minister to them. And then I want you to pray for them that I would bless them. Now, I'm not Job, but I can imagine how Job reacted. You have got to be out of your mind, God. You've got to be out. Do you know that all of my bulls and rams and camels are gone? You killed them. I could take these bulls and rams and start a new flock. I just got to rebuild my life a little bit. I pray over these jokers. They, they lied. They lied on you. They lied on me. They lied on everybody that was right. And you want me to pray for them. God, pray for me. And God said, I just want to require one more thing out of you. But when Job gave the one last thing, when he gave that one last thing that God was requiring of him, and he showed, he showed to God, I'm not defending myself anymore. I'm not telling you anymore how this isn't right, that how much you've put on me is wrong, that you put too much on me for me to bear. I'm not going to tell you any of that stuff anymore. I'm going to sit here in the situation that you've put me in, God, and I'm just going to give up every last bit of life and dignity and self-respect and self-worth that I had left in me. I'm going to give it all up, and I'm going to pray for these knuckleheads. 
and I'm going to sacrifice their stuff, and I'm going to make sure that they're right with you, and they have a wonderful relationship with you, and so they can go home and be happy, and I'm going to sit here. I think he probably said it just in that tone of voice. But he did it. He obeyed God, and it says, And the Lord turned the cat. So he prayed for them. He did. He says in verse 9, it says, He did according as the Lord commanded him. And in verse 10, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed, when he gave the last thing for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So we have, we have evidence that this is how God works. That when God's requiring something more from us, that we give it to him and we get it back from us. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, I'm wrapping up. Honor the Lord thy God with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so, that shall, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. So when we give God to God first, not the leftovers in the name of Jesus, not the leftovers, not when I've, when I've filled up my life with everything else, even some of it being ministry-related, not... not I've got to pay my bills and I've got to do all this other stuff. But when I give to God first and I give him my first fruits, then he says, see if I don't make it so that your wine presses are overflowing. That I See if I don't bless you for it. See if I don't give you back more than what you have. What can we give God of any value? So what's God trying to say? God's trying to say, let us lay down our life. Give God our very best. Pour out our very best for him.